0: You know, I'm always amazed to see how God is going to speak to me differently. You know sometimes you stand at the edge of the ocean and the waves are rolling up, and they stop right there and you went, Oh, God just told the waves to stop right there that's amazing and you look out and see the breadth of the ocean and you begin to see uh, the bigness of God, or you're in the mountains, and you look out across a vista and you begin to see uh, the beauty of God and or someone starts painting and you don't know what it's going to be and you're just sitting kind of curious and you're leaning in a little bit and going, what's up with that? And then as you begin to see it and and begin to realize what's going on and God uses that to stir something deep inside of you. And I'm so grateful that we have a God who is uh, not the same all the time. who doesn't just teach us and lead us in one particular way and that's it. But he reveals himself in so many ways. That's just uh, amazing to me. And uh, I want to tell you, uh, thank you for allowing me to be here today. And, I mean, what an incredible church. You know, I, I got here for the first service, and uh, someone met me in the parking lot. Didn't have, no, actually, he didn't really meet me. I was trying to find a place to park, and he helped me. And then I said, hey, what's the best door to go in? He said, let me, let me show you. And so he walked with me and brought me in and was telling me about everything that was going on and just so in love with what God's doing here. Uh, and came in, and, uh, and wow, what an incredible, generous, kind, and gracious church you are! Loved getting to talk with you some uh, between services. Some, I'm very grateful to, to Pastor Steve for telling me that the second service I can take the full 93 minutes. And and, and that some of you are getting nervous about that? Don't worry, we're bringing in lunch. It's okay. It's okay. We're having chicken livers. That's gross. But no, I, I do. Uh, I do want to tell you what a what a great church that you have here, and what God is doing in your lives is, is so amazing. And uh, and thank you, Steve, for allowing me to be here today. Uh, he is he is such a godly man, uh, and so 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 in love with you, and uh, wants the best for you, uh, wants God's best for you, and what an incredible man he is. And uh, as he and I have a, a deepening friendship, I'm just. I cherish the time I get to spend with him, and so uh, love him a lot. Take care of him. Uh, show him a lot of honor because he's amazing. He's a really incredible, godly man. So, if you got a Bible with you this morning, uh, if you will, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 23, uh, if you would. A few years ago, my wife and I were in Texas, and so we drove down to the border to drive to Mexico. Now, I wouldn't advise that to anybody. Uh, you know, and even if you lose a bet, don't drive to Mexico, but we did. And so uh, we get down to a border town. we park. we walk across the border, taking our lives into our own hands, uh, and walk across the border and start looking around a little bit. There's a little shopping area there. And, of course, my wife, she loves to shop, and I love hanging out with my wife, so we're shopping. And, you know, we just walk around a little bit. She says, I think I'm going to get a hat. I said, well, why don't you? I'll stay here. And so she goes looking for a hat because I think she's going to get one of these giant sombreros, you know, the size of a car is what she's thinking. But regardless, she takes off for um, a hat. I have no idea why, but she was going to get a hat. So I'm kind of standing looking out and watching people and all that kind of stuff, and there's a man behind me. He's going, Señor, Señor. And, you know, if you've ever been in another country, merchants very often will call you into their shops in other countries and try and entice you to come in. And so I'm just kind of standing there, and he's going, senor, senor. And so finally, I turn on, yes, he says, come into my shop. Come into my shop. I said, I'm watching my wife. I said, I think I'm good. And then I I see her going to another store, and I'm thinking this is going to take a minute. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll walk into this guy's store. And uh, so I walk around and start looking around different things. He's got in this, uh, this little store. And get back, there's a jewelry case in the back of the store. So I stop there at that jewelry case and uh, and kind of looking at what's in there. It's full of Rolex watches. And I said, well, let's have, have a little fun here. And so I, he comes walking back. He says, uh, would you like a watch? Like, I might. And I said, Uh are these Rolex watches? Yes. Yes, senor, they are. And I said, um, uh, well, can I see one? And so, you know, he gets it out, and I'm looking at Now, listen, I know it's a fake Rolex. I know, right? I mean, you know, there's a little dial on there. It's a little crooked. I couldn't tell where it said Rolex or Rolaids, but, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of there. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at it, and I said, uh, I said, how much for this watch? He says, Senor, for you? Like he, like he's doing me a deal. For you? 30 American dollars. I said, thirty dollars? For for a Rolex watch? Thirty dollars? That's incredible. He said, Yes, it is a very good price. I said, I'll give you ten. And he said, No, 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 senor. This is a fine watch. It's handcrafted. And I said, uh, I'll give you 10 he said 25 and I said no 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 and so uh, I I kept looking at it and talking to him another minute or two about it and and I said um, I said tell you what I'll, I'll give you I'll give you ten dollars for it he says he says like he's telling me some secret that nobody's ever heard before Senor. for you 20 American dollars I said, no. I said, I'll give you 10 And I said, look. I said, here's the deal. I said, you know, I appreciate you showing me the watch, inviting me into your store, all that. But here's the, here's the truth. I know that this is a counterfeit Rolex, that this is not a real Rolex watch. There's no way that I could buy a $3,000 watch for $20. So I know, it's, I know it's a counterfeit. And so he looks around again. And he leans in and he says, but, Senor, it is a genuine counterfeit. (laughs) And, and you know, it's it's Easter week. Easter next Sunday. And, and you know, people all around the world looking at Jesus this week with a different set of eyes than they ordinarily look at him. And some of them are looking at him and going, is he genuine? Is what he says true? And some people are looking at him and going, or is he a genuine counterfeit? And you know what? As Christ followers, people are looking at us this week too because they know this is our holy week. This is the, the the zenith of the year for us as Christ followers. And And looking at us, and they're sitting there wondering, is he genuine or is he a genuine counterfeit? Is your faith real or is it just something you use on occasion, genuine or genuine counterfeit. So if you've got a Bible, uh, let's look in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32, and we're going to talk for a few minutes about the criminals that Jesus was crucified with. Now, you probably remember this, but Jesus was crucified between two criminals. Uh, We don't know exactly what these criminals had done. In Matthew, it tells us that they were robbers, Uh, but I can tell you this. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. Uh, Over 80% of the Roman Empire were slaves. The economy of the Roman Empire depended on slave labor. And so if you did something, if you broke the law, you were most likely going to be made a slave. Uh, Crucifixion was expensive. It involved multiple soldiers. It involved materials. It it was an excruciating death. It took time. It was was involved. Uh, Usually a centurion had to be there as well. And so most people were made slaves. Only the worst of the worst of the worst were ever crucified. So it says in verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And so what's happened is at this point is that Jesus is on the cross. They put the nails in his wrist. They put the nails in his feet. They have pounded a crown of thorns into his head. And so at this point, he's in agony, pain, It's difficult. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, if that was me, I'd be saying, God, make them explode. Would, would you just dismember them right here? And would you make it as painful as possible and and start with that one right there. I mean, that would be me. But Jesus, in his kindness, and his mercy, in his grace, he looks and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I'd be going, let me tell you something, Father. They know what they did, and I don't like it. Do something to them. But, but God for, forgave them. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, your sins can be forgiven too. I mean, do you think about that? That's one of the things we kind of take for granted. Because, you know, the one thing that you have to have, the one thing you must have in this life to get to the next is forgiveness. That's what you've got to have. That's the one non-negotiable. You have to be forgiven for your sin. It has to happen. There is no other alternative there. If you are not forgiven of your sin before you die, things are not going to end well for you. They're just not. And so forgiveness is a huge Huge, huge issue. Now, do you walk around in forgiveness? I mean, do you remember that you have been forgiven, or do you walk around with blame and shame and regret and guilt? Because let me tell you, if you're a Christ follower and you're walking around in such a way that you feel blame and shame and regret and guilt, that's not from the Lord. Because you have been forgiven. You know, in Galatians it says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You've been set free from those things. You don't have to walk around in that way. So if you're a Christ follower and walk around that way, you, you need to revisit that a little bit and remember that, that God has forgiven you of your sin. But you know, on the other hand, there are people who say, well, you know, I don't need to be forgiven for my sin because I haven't done anything. I, I'm not that bad a person. And I think a lot of people think that way. I mean, let's do this real quick. Let me ask you some questions. I've been doing this for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. The first person I heard do this was a guy named Ray Comfort. So it's not original with me. But just some questions real quick. How many people in here would say that you've ever told a lie? Oh, come on, you're in church. The first service today I said this and one guy stood up. (laughs) Hey, how about that? All right. How about have you have you ever stolen anything? Ever stolen anything? Some of you not telling the truth. How about you ever cheated? Ever cheated? There's a little murmuring going on. That's funny. Let me tell you when not cheated. Or how about how about this one? Now, now don't raise your hand on this one. I just want you to raise your eyebrows. Okay. That way nobody can see. So you look straight ahead. Look at me. All right. If you ever had a lustful thought, just raise your eyebrows. There's a guy there going. <laughs> now, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that if you have a lustful thought, that it's the same as adultery. How about if you ever, have you, you can raise your hand on this one. Anybody ever put something or someone in front of God before? Anybody? That's idolatry, right? So guess what? We are a room full of lying, stealing, cheating, adulterous, idolaters. Welcome to church. <laughs> but, but but here's the thing, and we, we laugh about that a little bit, and I, and I wanted to make that lighthearted for just a minute, but you know what? For every lie, for everything that was stolen from somebody else, for the times that you have cheated, lustful faults, idolatry, That's what nailed Jesus to the cross. Mine. I did that. I did that. It was me. And so when we sit there sometimes, and as Christ followers, when we're saying that I don't believe I'm forgiven, I can't be forgiven for what I did. It is as though we are saying that Christ's crucifixion was not enough. And so put him on the cross again, put the nails in again, put the crown of thorns in again because it didn't work the first time because I'm not completely forgiven. You are. You are forgiven. He was pierced for our transgressions. Right? And what's a transgression? That transgression is when there's a line right there. You know where the boundary is and you say, oh, I'm stepping across it anyway. He was pierced. He was pierced when they put a spear into his side. He was pierced when they put nails into his wrists and into his feet. He, he was nailed when they put a crown of thorns and pounded it into his head. He was pierced for our transgressions. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Verse 35, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If He's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. So one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So this one criminal, he begins comparing himself to Jesus. And he says, you know what, I'm better than you are. You know, if, are you not the Christ? Why don't you do something about it? And, and that's what we do. I mean, we, we compare ourselves to people all the time. We compare ourselves and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm not as good looking as he is. I smell better than he does. Uh, I drive a better car than he does. He's driving way too much of a car. My kids are faster. They play sports better. My kids are not as smart. We we compare drivers. You know, somebody drives too fast as a maniac. Somebody drives too slow as an idiot. You know, but I, I, we, all these kind of things we compare ourselves all the time. And 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 this man, this criminal, is hanging on a cross, and he's comparing himself to Jesus. He says, "Look, I'm I'm better than you. I, I'm better than you. I, I who who are you? And and he has this he has this really jacked up theology, because here's what he wants to do. He just wants to use Jesus. Now, I say he's got jacked-up theology because you never use the jack in your car until you need it, right? It just, you keep it, you know, hidden somewhere, you never use it, you never think about it, never give one single thought about it, then you have a flat tire, you get the jack out, you jack the car up, you change the tire, hey, that's great, now we can start driving again, you put the jack up and then you drive off. And a lot of times that's what we do with God, isn't it? We don't give him a thought at all until we really need him. And as soon as we're done needing him, we move right along and leave him behind. You know, it's easy to walk with God and to need him in times of adversity. It's in times of prosperity that you find out how's your relationship with God. Because in those times of prosperity, when things are going good, sometimes you think, I don't need him. In adversity, you think, God, I can't live without you. That's jacked-up theology. That's what that is. So let's keep going. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now, this other criminal is also comparing himself to Jesus. He's also doing that. And, and look, this is a really big deal. He compares himself to Jesus, and says, "You know what? I, I'm falling short. I, I, I need help." And because of his response toward Jesus, Jesus has some things to say to him. The other criminal said, "Jesus, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you, you, you save me? Why don't you do something for me?" Jesus has no words of hope for him. If if he does, there's nothing recorded in Scripture. doesn't say, hey, look, things are going to be better, you know, even though you don't care about me, I'll take care of you anyway. It's not there. So are we genuine or are we genuine counterfeits? Do we have a relationship or are we just pretending? And I think this is a great time to call a timeout for a minute and, and talk about something that I think that people in churches especially really struggle with. There's this idea that if you are good enough, that God will love you more. If you're good enough, you get to go into heaven. And you say, no, Arthur, people really don't think that. No, really, people think that. That so, well, I'm a good person, I do good things, and and that's good enough. But that's not the way it is. Here's the thing that's kind of interesting to me is that good is a relative term. And so because good is a relative term, we kind of struggle with that a little bit. And what's good for you, not necessarily good for me. That's what I mean by being a relative term. For instance, you say Brussels sprouts are delicious. You're wrong. They're gross. I don't care if you wrap them in bacon and put pepper shrimp over the top of them. They're nasty. It's like little cabbages gone bad. I don't care what you do with them. They're nasty. They, They should not be eaten. I'm pretty sure they serve them in hell. around for the two o'clock show. <laughs> That's it. we can be friends. <laughs> so, but you know, but the problem is, is, is good is a relative term. You know, you say you're a good basketball player. I say LeBron James is a good basketball player. There's a big difference. So uh, we we kind of struggle with that a little bit. And, and, and how good is good enough? I mean, in school, 70 is passing. What, what's passing with God? I mean, what is he looking for? Is he looking for 68 or 74? What, what is it that he's looking for? I mean, we don't know. I mean, what's the standard? Well, the, the, the standard is, is that God is not interested in a standard of good. He's interested in a standard of innocence. And it turns out that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And, and just one thing keeps us from having just one sin. It says, it says Forever keeps the, this is James 2, verse 10. It says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point and has become guilty of all of it. Just one. So well, are there how, many, how many sins does it take to get you, you know, out of heaven? A lot of people say one. I'd say zero because you were born with a sinful nature. What do you do? Do the same thing that this criminal who needs Jesus to help him does. He says, Jesus, I'm being punished justly. I've done things I shouldn't have done. Now notice, this, this criminal, he doesn't have the opportunity to get off the cross and say, I'm going to go do some good things, and then I'll be back and put me back on the cross again. He's got no time left. He's going to be dead. He's got no time left to do anything good. He can't go cut his neighbor's grass. He can't go fix a couple of meals for some people who are hungry. He can't go make a donation somewhere. It's almost over for him. And so it's about being forgiven. It's not about being good. Verse 42, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. See, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus did. He was nailed to the cross for your sin, and He offers you a relationship with Him, an eternal life with Him. He loves you. It's not that He loves you when or He loves you if. He loves you. Romans 5.8 says, but God chose His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners, and we were repulsive, but still he died for us. Romans 10, 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Condemnation means to be found guilty and to be worthy of punishment. So there's no guilt, there's no blame, there's no shame in Jesus. There's freedom, there's forgiveness. We're not punished. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me explain it like this. This is you, okay? And, and I'll make a fist because this is how we try and get through life sometimes, isn't it? I'm angry enough. I'm strong enough. I'm going to fight my way through it. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to punch through. I'm, I, I can get this done, right? And, and then at some point, at some point, you realize you can't. And sometimes that happens over a span of a few days. Sometimes it happens in a moment. And you realize, I can't do this. I just can't. I, I need help. And you cry out to God. And you say, God, will you save me? And God goes, yes, I will. And in that moment, he covers your sin and your anger and your discouragement, and your fear, and your loneliness, and your pain. He covers all that with his righteousness, meaning that you're in right standing with him. And so you're still here, imperfect. But he looks at you, and he sees the good in you when you come to know him. He says, you're incredible. That's what happens. By the way, this is the same way it happens legally. If, if someone uh, has been committed, uh, convicted of a capital crime and they're to be executed, and they ask the governor, can, can, I get, can I be pardoned? And the governor says, well, let's talk about this a little bit. And the governor decides to look at it and investigate it and says, well, yes, I'll grant you a pardon. But before the pardon can be granted... the guilty party has to admit I did the crime because without the crime being confessed, there's no pardon. And so even our legal system, that's the way it works. And so legally, they look at you and say, well, you pardoned. Yeah, you did something. You admit you did it, but legally, I see you differently. That's what God does. look, you've got something in you that's wrong, but I will forgive you. Will you just trust me? If you'll put your trust in me, I'll forgive you of your sin, and you have eternal life with me. It's really just that simple. So I want to give you the opportunity today to place your trust in Christ. For the first time. And to make that step from being genuine counterfeit to being genuine. So if you would, pray with me. And let me ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. Well, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Let me ask you a simple question. Has there ever been a point in your life where you've placed your trust in Jesus to be your Savior? You can do that right now. You can move from being a genuine counterfeit to being genuine. You can do that. Right where you're sitting. And So let me give you the opportunity to do that. You can pray right after me. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. You can pray something like this. Dear God, I confess that I've done things that are wrong. I confess that I have sinned. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sin." So Lord, would you please save me right now? Thank you for saving me. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, would you open your eyes and look at me? Awesome. That's great. Thank you. Right here. Thank you. Thank you. See you over there, too. Keep looking at me, just for a second. I'm going to try to make eye contact with everybody who's looking at me. Okay. Awesome. That's so good. Hey, keep looking at me for just a minute. That is the most significant thing you will do your whole life. To say, Jesus, please save me. Thank you for telling me that. Look, there are some really good, important steps to take. You know, your, your life has just changed. And... We want to help you learn to take those first steps. And so in, in just a moment after I pray, there are going to be some pastors who are here along the front. And would you come up and tell them, even though you maybe don't understand everything right now, just say, hey, I prayed that prayer with Arthur just a minute ago. And, and they're not going to condemn you, they're going to encourage you. They're just going, they're going to be so excited. So would you In just a moment, those of you who are looking at me, after I pray and we begin singing the song, would you come up and tell one of these pastors about that? Because they want to rejoice with you. It's a big day. It's a big day. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for saving people today. Thank you for allowing your son to be beaten up pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities so that we might have a relationship with you. Thank you that you forgive us no matter what, no matter what we might have done or where it might have been. Thank you that you forgive us. So, Lord, we love you. I pray that you would continue to move in our lives today. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you would, stand up, would you? And, and we're going to have a time of response and a time for a time of worship. And, you know, and right where you are, you might want to just worship the Lord and and tell him how much you love him and thank him for forgiving you. You might want to come forward and, and pray here uh, and just kneel here at the altar and pray. Uh, but especially if you made a decision for Christ today and you put your faith in Christ You were looking at me just a moment ago. Will you come up and tell one of the pastors here? That's really important. So let's respond to God as he moves in our lives.